Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Writer? Inventor? Do you have questions about your intellectual property rights? Well, tune in every Tuesday and Thursday morning at 11 o'clock for Joy on Paper. Once a month, I will have a special guest, the writer's legal eagle, Bill Larson of Larson & Larson, who can answer your questions. Protect your valuable work. Email me your questions to patsy.radio at gmail.com and then listen in every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 a.m. right here on Tampa Bay's Tan Talk Radio Network. That's patsy.radio at gmail.com. Tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google, Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio. I got Tommy in the other room with his hands up in the air, flailing all over the place because we have a technical issue tonight. Tommy is, uh... Yeah, I don't understand. I had no problem earlier, but now all of a sudden our Adobe's not Adobean. Our Adobe's not Adobe. Let me try to see if I can't figure it out. All right, I'll let you try and figure it out, you know, because, uh... Well... Am I live? I mean, is the because it's I, there for a second there. Knock knock. Am I working okay? I well, I know I'm not on Facebook because I'm still in Facebook jail, but that's okay. No big deal. We don't need them. Uh, <laughs> don't forget, we are still streamed live on the internet. If you go to the TantalkRadioNetwork.com. So big shout out to Bobby. He's out there somewhere in uh, Radio Land. Um, shout out to my good friends over there at the Rib Shack Barbecue. And uh, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, too. Don't forget to check out our uh, nostalgic auto, nostalgic radio and cars archive page where you can hear and listen to all our 500 and whole bunch of shows. Actually, we're coming up on our 11th year here in May. On May 13th, it will be 11 years that we've been live on the air here in downtown Clearwater, sparkling downtown Clearwater. Yes, sir, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Anyway, uh, let's see what we got going on here. Let's just, uh, we got a very uh, uh, lovely guest coming on our show a little bit later this afternoon and or this evening, depending where you're at. But it is International Women's History Month. So I thought we really, in the first part of the month, I kind of, it slipped, but I thought we better get on the ball here a little bit and uh, um, reflect a little bit on some of the significant achievements and contributions that women have made in the automotive world. So my guest is coming on a little bit later is going to share some of those because she actually did a little documentary on that. So we're looking forward to having her on the show. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, lot of weird things that, uh, I shouldn't say weird, but interesting inventions that came out of uh, um, women, let's just say, just on, on the design side, you know. I mean, there's a lot of things that guys, guys, yeah, us, you would take for, for granted. Keep in mind, I can't remember what the statistic is, but I know our guests will share that with us later. But the percentage of um, women that in the last, well, since the 60s, for sure, probably even in the 50s, because I know my mom had her own car in the 50s. and um, But, you know, things that women, little things that they did, nuances, 
creature comforts, uh, little design improvements that women um, were responsible for that made the family car what it is today. And uh, so that's cool. And I'm not one of those kind of guys who goes, well, you know, let's give all the credit to to a specific race or a specific gender or anything like that. I'm not really into that. But I do respect, um, you know, and I don't I don't get excited over a lot of that stuff. But but there are people, individuals, and in this particular case, I think it's fair to say that, you know, the women have been uh, very, very much instrumental in in uh, the, some of the design of automobiles. They're very heavily involved in racing nowadays. So, and it's good to have a perspective on that. You know, it's just like kids. Um, I know that when my son was younger, you know, he would sit there and make a, a uh, comment and says, you know, why don't we have this in the car? Why don't we have this as a, as a, a appliance or something like that? You know, so you need, you need input from everybody. You know, everybody's got an idea. Everybody, and, and whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, you need to look at it and say, hey, you know, this is, if, if it's anything that improves our lives, uh, makes things a little bit more comfortable, um, a little nicer, a little prettier, a little bit more functional, then by all means, it doesn't matter who did it. Let's give that particular person, that individual, let's give them credit. And um, But anyway, so this month, like I said, we're celebrating International Women's History Month. And since this is Nostalgic Radio and Cars, we're an automotive show, we could uh, we could um, have a guest on that would share some of that. Next week, we have another lady coming on our show. She's uh, been involved in racing, and so she's going to talk a little bit about that. She's actually been, actually been on our show before. And uh, so we'll we'll keep you in suspense. I will say that she is, if you want to look her up, she is the guest of honor uh, at Amelia Island this year. So our hats are off to her. And um, the women in motorcycle rating, racing, uh, women in uh, engineering, uh, women in rocket science. There's all kinds of stuff. I mean, you know, there's, there, you know, the, the where I'm going with this, I guess, basically is it doesn't really matter who, what, where, what you are. Um, if you make a contribution, then by all means, that's good. And uh, and uh, so, anyway, let's see. What else was I going to talk about? Okay, this weekend, what's up? Uh, well, flacarshows.com, if you want to find out where all the car shows and stuff like that are. That's uh, our friends. In fact, that's uh, um, a uh, website and a host and a uh, service provided by um, Tara out of Orlando, another lady. Okay, you know they always say behind every successful guy there's a woman, which is true. And um, so you know we always like to have a female perspective on things. I know my wife is very instrumental in some of the stuff that I've done, She's, and I appreciate her support. And uh, occasionally when it's, uh, you know, Mother's Day or something like that. You know what they should have? They should have Wife Day. You know, they have a Father's Day and they have a Mother's Day, but they should have a Wife Day. They should have a Husband's Day. If we're going to have all these days, you might as well. I mean, with 365 days out of the year, you might as well just let's just go overboard and let's do all this stuff. Let's give a let's have a Son's Day. Let's have a Daughter's Day, which I believe they do kind of unofficially. Um, so how about just uh, Everybody Day? What do you say to that, Tommy? Tommy goes, yeah, I'm all for that. How about a radio jock day? Radio, let's just celebrate radio jocks. And, and uh, I, you know, it's, it's, it's endless. Um, on, on, all right, well, that's, that's another issue for another radio show, not ours. But anyway, so uh, this weekend, this past weekend, was Leadfoot City's um, car show swap meet. I haven't been here in a while because I've just been working on some other projects, so I haven't had time. I think this weekend coming up is the Tricky Rod Run, the spring event. I think that's taking place. Um, Sebring 12-hour race was this weekend. And uh, you know what? It slipped my mind, and I forgot about it, too. And I got texts from friends of mine. They go, hey, man, Robert, where are you? And I go, oh, you know, I just it's kind of funny because, you know, I'm kind of like out of the limelight. I mean, I just kind of like shut all everything off, you know, because it's just there's so much malarkey going on out there. I just really kind of like stepped in my own little zone here a little bit. So I'm kind of doing my own thing a little for a while, trying to fix my own stuff up a little bit. And um, I've been going through some of my my little my my little cleanup thingy here. But anyway, um, but this uh, last week I was diddy bopping through town. I want to give a big shout out to my friends over there at uh, Tri City Bolt and Screw because I always get nuts and bolts and screws and washers and all kinds of stuff. They're down there on 66th Street, and then also uh, I just had to drop off my rollback over to uh, 
our friends over there at Hosen Hydraulics over off of uh, Almerton there. Because the center ram on my truck, the cylinder seal is leaking, and it's uh, kind of an involved project. First time. I will have to say this, though. You know, and, and, and all the years that I've had a lot of my vehicles, and there's a there's 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 truth to this if you take care of your equipment if you maintain it if you don't abuse it if you use it within the limitations the stuff will last it's just like a car you know you can get two three hundred thousand miles i bought a little ford transit connect a few years back just kind of as an interim vehicle to drive and then to sell because i'm a dealer so i buy stuff and i sell stuff i mean mostly i i buy and sell vintage cars okay you know projects and stuff and um but every once in a while i buy a couple late model ones you know one for Mom and or when I say mom, my wife. We call you know, call your wife and mom, and my son to drive. You know, and then uh, I drive for a little bit, and then we put them up, take good care of them, and then we sell them. And you know, usually we're 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 kind of good cost wise, and uh, and obviously vintage stuff is kind of up my alley. You know, project cars and stuff, but they're getting harder and harder to find. But where I'm going with this is, if you take care of a vehicle, you know, it will last. Well, like this little Ford Transit I bought, I my intention it had fifty six thousand miles on. I think when I bought it. And then uh, when it got around to uh, fixing my excursion, I just never got around to it because I was the Ford Transit Connect, and I'm big shout out to Ford because that Transit Connect is just a great little vehicle. They only made the, the only mistake with the Transit Connect is six inches six inches too short. It's seven the cargo area is seven feet four seven feet six inches seven feet four so whatever it is it's just shy of eight feet so you can't quite get an eight foot sheet of plywood I think. Cargo area should have should be able to get at least an eight foot sheet of plywood in the back, four by eight sheet. So that's that's kind of like the criteria. My excursion, believe it or not, I can get more than that in there. Um, but it gets 15, 16 miles to the gallon. The Ford Transit gets twenty five miles to the gallon. So um, yeah, yeah, makes sense. But anyway, so uh, I now have one hundred and thirty some one thousand miles on it. I love that little truck. And uh, where I'm going with this is you take care of it, you maintain it, you use it within its limitations, change the oil frequently, it will last. And that's, that holds true for every vehicle. You know, don't run the doo-doo out of it. Don't off-road it and beat the crap out of it. You know, don't neglect it. Don't curb it. You know, it'll and bump into things with it, obviously, and, and, and your vehicle will last. And, uh, and, and where I'm going with this is like my rollback. You know, I use it like it's supposed to be used, like it's intended to be used as a car carrier. But I haul equipment and block and wood and timber and junk and scrap and all kinds of stuff on it, but I don't abuse it. So naturally, the only thing that really ever goes bad on it is the normal wear and tear stuff. If your normal wear and tear stuff goes bad, then uh, you know you can't. That's that's to be expected. And um, on the Ford Transit, there was a little. This just give you an idea. Something real simple. Uh, it was the fan motor was vibrating. It was kind of making kind of a funky noise, but it wasn't squealing like a bearing was out of it. So we couldn't figure out what it was. I had to Google it to figure out, find out where it was. Actually, I had Bobby do it for me. Then I told a friend of mine about it, and he says, "Oh yeah, you probably have, uh, you know, something in the squirrel cage." And I go, "Hmm, yeah, okay." So I'm thinking, how would I get in there because it's all kind of sealed right up there. In the old days, it wasn't uncommon, you know, because you had a vent and then little thingy right there, and you'd suck up stuff, you know, because the blower motor was outside. And, uh, you know, if you had your windows open, stuff would be blowing around and it would suck up underneath the dash. Well, this is all kind of insulated these days. You know, the cars are built differently, naturally. And um, sure enough, there was insulation in there. And uh, took a little clothes hanger and spent a few minutes, just dropped the glove box door. You can get right at it. It was actually pretty easy. I was pretty impressed with that. And uh, now it sounds like uh, brand new again. So, but the dealership wanted like four to six hundred dollars to fix or repair it or replace it. So I should always do, you know, always get a second opinion, and uh, that way you'll kind of know for sure. Again, I'm not a mechanic. I always tell everybody I'm not a mechanic. I'm a tinker. So, you know, I tinker with things. If I don't know, I ask somebody. If it's something within my skill level, if you want to use the term skill level, uh, then I tinker with it and I can kind of figure it out. And um, but I'm not a troubleshooter by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I'm, the old joke is, yeah, hey, go see the long-haired guy over there with uh, that works on points and carburetors. And speaking of points and carburetors, this weekend, uh, and I, last weekend I was diddy button down off 34th Street in St. Pete. There, I was going to Tap, Tampa Automobile, whatever it is. They do tags and title transfers and stuff. I stumbled on this logo and a couple old cars and the logo said roosters and i didn't really pay much attention to that but 
below it it said rod shop and then i thought oh that's kind of cool so i figured i'm gonna go checking it out so i pulled over i walked inside and i saw a whole bunch of really cool old hot rods turned out there was a bunch of people there that i knew from way back when that worked here worked there whatever so basically it's a hot rod shop it's kind of cool now on the 27th of this month which is sunday they're having kind of like an open house so if you're into old school hot rods points and carburetors mickey thompson and cal custom valve covers Edelbrock and Wyan intake manifolds. I think I covered the bases there. Um, that is the place for you. And American Racing Wheels and Krager SSs, chrome wheels. And old school hot rods. They got some gassers in there. They got some street rods in there. They got all kinds of cool stuff. And uh, so they're having an open house. I think they're even going to, they actually have a loading dock that they cleared out. What they're doing is you back into that loading dock and they throw some, I don't know, water or bleach on the ground. You can sit there and boil the tires until they blow. Um, so they're looking for people to donate tires that you don't need and mount them up. They got a, a, mount a, a tire machine there. And uh, let her eat, man. So anyway, I, yes, me, yours truly, will be down there. So I'm going to go check out Rooster's Rod Shop. That's this weekend. That's uh, Sunday on uh, March 27th down there off of uh, 34th Street, and which is out there kind of like, what's out there? The dump. <laughs> um where all the chaos is, all the construction going on 118th. So it's in between 118th and uh, Arlington Road and that area out there. So look them up, Rooster's Rod Shop. On that note, I think Tommy's going to go ahead. Oh, Tommy's got like, hey, I might want to go check that out. Tommy goes, it's time to play something on the recorder player. Oh. Well, that sounds like the beginning of L.A. Woman. Is that The Doors? The Doors, one of my favorite bands. Oh, yes. Hey, you're tuning into Central Gaming Cars. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. Listen to the doors and L.A. Woman. Yes, it's International Woman's Month. History Month. See you guys. We'll be right back. brews in Tampa Bay at Dunedin Brewery. Known as Florida's oldest microbrewery, they are always working to create a unique variety of craft beers for every taste. In addition, Dunedin Brewery features a full menu, including everything from their famous wings, burgers, salads, flatbreads, and more. Don't forget about their live music, including the Wednesday Night Players Jam. That's Dunedin Brewery, 937 Douglas Avenue in downtown Dunedin. Visit them online at dunedinbrewery.com. 
Looking for car shows? Then look no further than flacarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, flacarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at flacarshows.com. We're back and you tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Wow, sounds like we got our uh, Adobe thingy working again here. But anyway, um, so, you know, the other day I was looking around. And of course, I'm always, I'm a dealer and I buy and sell stuff, right? So I'm always out there looking for stuff. And there's cars that I always like to buy because I think they sell very well all the time. The last thing you want to do is you have stuff laying around you can't get rid of. And that's hard, you know, sometimes as your dealer, especially when you're vintage. You know, obviously GTOs, obviously Mustangs, you know, Chevelle, stuff like that. Um, they all do pretty good. You know, they, there's a kind of like a waiting list for those kind of cars. But um, but I try to stay in the lower end cars. I don't really want to get into high dollar stuff. You know, I'm not really into that. I like the, 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 the you know, under $20,000 car, under $15,000 car range. I think that's a good level to get into. And then you just get the cars kind of going and put them together and, and then let the next guy take it to the next level because a lot of the, half the joy, half the fun of owning a collectible car, classic car, is being able to kind of personalize it yourself. So, for example, when I buy a car, I generally don't try to buy one that's all done because I generally can't find the one. There, there's never a car out there that's exactly the way you want it. It's close, but you might not like the wheels. You might not like some of the stuff on the interior. You might want to change a few things here and there. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's the beauty of it because, let's say, for example, the interior is blue and you want red. Or it's red and you want green. And it's green and you want white. You can do that. You know, because, for example, with the Mustang, that's the beauty of it, is everything is available for those cars. You can build the car out of the box. You know, I mean, it's and, and nowadays it's really, really hard to, to, to sell – um, some really rough project cars because you can buy actually a whole body from Donicorn as an example. So where I'm going with this is that the other day, this friend of mine was in the junkyard and he saw a 65 Fastback and there was nothing left of it. I mean, it had been sitting in this yard for eons. Not only was that in the junkyard, and I'm not going to disclose where, that, where it's at because we're trying to jump on a couple other cars that are up in there, but one of the other ones in there was a Bug Eye Sprite. About a 59, 60, 61 Austin Healy. And if Alan's listening, he knows exactly what that is because he's had a few of those. But there's a few things off of Austin Healy that I was looking for. And even though the body's junk, you know, I was looking for the seats perhaps, you know, because I have an MGB, Miss Money Penny, and I think that those vintage seats would be kind of cool in there other, outside of the ones that I have in it. And I've switched them around. That's the thing. I took out the stock seats. I put in these kind of like racing bucket seats, but they're kind of cool. They're neat looking. But to get a correct period set of seats that are – you know, keep in mind when you when when I use the term period modifications, and if you go to Roosters this weekend, you'll see some of the stuff that, that I'm talking about. The cool thing about doing these cars and vintage cars is you do that you go with the total retro style. Now, I was obviously around back in the '70s, so I'm familiar with a lot of this stuff. And growing up as a kid in the '60s, I saw a lot of these modifications myself, so I'm kind of familiar with it. So when you take a, that's why swap meets are so cool because you find all these leftover parts. And, you know, whether it's a set of Cal Custom valve covers or, or something unusual or, or old mag wheels or straight axle out of an Econoline or a Dodge one uh, van or something like that, or even a Chevy van or something like that. You know, that's stuff that you can use. You can build, like, these little straight axles. Now, granted, you can go buy all this stuff from uh, Honest Charlie Speed Shop up there in, in Chattanooga. But if you're really trying to do an old period correct car, you need to find legit original parts. And the cool thing about that is, is that sometimes people will pay a premium for it, but then when you see the car and you put it in together, it has that look and that feel that it was done back in the day because all the parts that are on it are retro, are genuine. Okay, so that's me. All right, I like that. And that's kind of what this speed shop's kind of like all about. But anyway, so where I'm going with this is this guy's got the 65 Fastback Mustang up in there, and it's just absolutely obliterated crap. So you can buy that car along with all the paperwork and everything else that goes along with it, and you can buy yourself a Dynacorn body, and you can basically make that car this car. Now, I have an issue with that a little bit, but that's okay. It's another subject for another day. But 20 years down the road, that car could very easily get passed off as a uh, as, as an original car because the guys like me may or may not be around to authenticate it or verify the car, and you don't know what you're buying. So 
Again, that gets back to the buyer beware thing. Hey, I think we better turn, 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 turn back to the table here and uh, get our guests on the line. I didn't realize time was flying by here. But uh, hey, you're tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Here's a little guess who. American woman. A Canadian band sings about an American woman. What do you say to that? Hey, you're tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. stance than any little import, so you won't be pushed around by the wind. With high-backed bucket seats in front and comfortable room all around, and Pinto Strong, built to run and run and run, with little servicing, little noise, little expense. Pinto, a little carefree car to put a little kick in your life. A little better idea from Ford, coming September 11th. This is Shirley Cha-Cha Mulvaney, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And uh, to help me celebrate International Women's History Month is uh, one of the top female journalists, women journalists, lady journalists. I think I said it right. We'll get straight to say. And the car coach herself, and a uh, Nostalgic Radio and Cars alumni, delighted to welcome back Lauren Fix. Lauren, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me back. Thanks yeah. Call me lady, female, whatever. I'm not offended. I'm not a self-like. I was just going to ask you, I, uh, if, if if I say that, what is really, I mean, what is PC today? I mean, you know, I'm not that I'm into that, but I mean, me. doesn't? Okay. Now, I've been involved with the auto industry my whole life. You need to have tough skin if you wish to succeed. And that doesn't mean that you get offended by every single word. It also, there's a... There's a time and a place. As my mother used to say, sticks and, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I don't know what happened to that thing. But I, I use that all the time. I wish more people would. I wish somebody in a position of authority would actually say that for a change. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay. you got to be tough if you want to race, too. I've been racing since 1980. And I can't tell you how many times guys have come up to me and say, where's your brother, your father, your boyfriend? I'm like, it's me. I'm changing my own tires. Get out of my way. You know? There you go. There you go. Now, it's International Women's History Month, and you just, I didn't get a chance to, I listened to part of it, but you did a documentary. And what I would like you to do is share some tidbits of that, because it's kind of interesting. Now, this show obviously is focused on two things, automotive and music. So tonight, you're here. Let's talk a little bit about automotive and how women have contributed to the automobile industry since day one. Right, a little different than music. Women have a huge part of music, and I am no music expert, nor do you want me to sing. And I can talk about cars all day long. <laughs> 
No, it'd be bad. You'd probably just lose your mind. Lose your mind. Okay, so there are a lot of women that have changed automotive history. We're not talking racing. We're just talking about cars that we all drive every day and things you don't think about. And I focused on just 10 people. And in the end, I told my story because I do have a piece of automotive history. Uh, actually, a couple of them now that I think about it. Um, some of these things that women have developed over the centuries, uh, you may not realize that, but these features and technologies were created because they didn't like what was there. That either they couldn't use, like, the old crank engine and stuff like that. There had to be a better way. So I, I just picked 10, and I know there's a lot more. So the most obvious is the first one, which is Bertha Benz, which is Carl Benz's wife. She was a pioneer. She had two little boys, and he had been working on the car in the shop, which is like a barn behind her house. And he was gone, so she decided she wanted to take it for a drive. So she got in with the two boys, and went for a ride. Now, during that time, the brakes that he had created didn't work. So she put a piece of leather between the, the brake clamping and the wheel, and she created the first brake pad out of leather. Wow. And you see, she, it's really cool. It's actually on the Mercedes-Benz site as, all, as well, the full video. Uh-huh. And um, there was a hose that, le- that, that started leaking, and she used a piece of, she ripped off a piece of the bottom of her dress. Um, so it's really kind of neat, but she was the first person to go for a test drive. That's incredible. Well, that thing, the fact that she was 100% behind her husband, too, at the time, you know, when everybody else scoffed at the idea. I know, wasn't it? Carl Benz, old, you know, Mercedes Benz. Good mm-hmm. thing they didn't call the first car the Bertha, though. That kind of would have been Ooh. <laughs> would have been an interesting car. Anyway, uh, but the whole story is really interesting, um, and she had, was a big part of the auto industry. But as time went on, and this is kind of an interesting story, in 1893, this woman named Margaret Wilcox received a patent. 1893. So think about it. That was a long time ago. There were were Stanley steamers and a lot of old stuff. They hadn't got to the level of production cars. But she was cold. So she came with an idea to take the heat from the engine and run it through the the, the frame rails and then blow on to the passengers. That was the first interior car heater. Jeez, that's interesting, too. Same kind of technology today. 1893. She got a patent for it. I'm sure the patent's long gone, but kind of neat. Yeah, definitely. And very simple, too. Well, she was a pretty smart lady. She was the first female mechanical engineer. She was responsible for creating the bake pan. The bake pan? I think it's weird. Yeah, like a baking sheet. Like a baking pan? Yeah, really? Um. Also, yeah, combined, she combined a clothes washer and a dishwasher. I don't know if I'd want to do wash my clothes where I wash my dishes, but hey, I guess. <laughs> well, wait a minute. You mentioned the bed pan or the uh, the bake pan. Bake pan. Bake pan. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, we use those to as drip pans underneath cars today. See, so there's there's it's a, a multi-purpose. Right, well, yeah, higher side. <laughs> yeah. High side, not not the shallow ones we all use. Uh, <laughs> she also created the home heater. She did the same kind of concept and created a home heater. So. Really? Smart lady. Yeah, she was a trailblazer. And then we'll move forward in time. Mary Anderson and Charlotte Bridgewater were a big part of the windshield wiper, but the inventor was Mary Anderson. She was up north in New York City, and she saw that people would drive a distance and get out and wipe the snow during the winter off the windscreen. They were called windscreens back then. Yeah. And then they drive a few more blocks and do that. And she goes, well, that's ridiculous. There's got to be a better way. Especially when women wore dresses there. It wasn't like they wore pants and snowshoes, you know. So it was a different kind of situation. So she created a hand wipe operation that you would just run the blade by hand from one side to the other. Just think of it right in front of you, like straight up windshield. There was no curve in those windshields. So she created a patent in 1903. And she thought, this is a great idea. I'm going to shop it around to all the manufacturers. They said, no one wants that. There's no interest in that. Even though it made sense for rain and snow, they said, no, nah, people aren't complaining. We're not going to do it. Well, that didn't happen. And they, the patent expired. And she never she was a, she became a successful developer, but she didn't make it off the wiper blade. So in 1917, a lady named Charlotte Bridgewater said, wait a minute. Let's make this electronically controlled. And her design used rollers instead of a blade to clean the windshield. She again p- passed that around. And all the manufacturers said, nah, we're not interested. And she went on to do something else. But what happened was they saw the future because in 1922, 10, 10 years later, 
Cadillac took Anderson's idea and applied it to all of their vehicles as standard, and all the other manufacturers followed. So they never got the credit for it, but it's kind of neat. Interesting. Now, uh, just to digress for a second, Cadillac, if my history serves me correctly, did Cadillac not have the first car that used an electric starter? Was it Cadillac that did it, or was it somebody else? I think it was Cadillac. I don't know, think it was a woman that developed it. I may be wrong. The where I'm going with this is the fact that, as kind of like Cadillac was like the Rolls Royce of American cars, and if Cadillac did it, then everybody else kind of like followed suit. Is that kind of is there some truth to that? True. Okay. In some things today, even there's a few things like night vision and you know um, super cruise, you know things like that. So it's interesting to see, but every manufacturer's got something cool that they've developed. Okay. All right, so the next lady. Her name is Florence Lawrence. Now, if you're really into old movies, especially silent movies, she was very famous. She she did over 300 films that were all silent. So she was like the first ever movie celebrity. Of course, she made a lot of money, so she went and bought a very cool car, one of those big cars of the era. So you're talking about like 1913, the cars were starting to get big then mm-hmm. and onward, so... She loved to drive. She thought it was the best thing. But she also found it very frustrating. She didn't know which way people were going, and there were a lot of accidents. So she came up in 1913 with the first auto-signaling arm. Before that, you put your arm out the window, going left and going, you know, remember those old hand signals? Right, right, right. Like, maybe not everybody. I remember that. Your arm was down, <laughs> your arm was up for, for right and out for left. Um, so that those times, people didn't always do that, and she got frustrated. So she created a little box that went in the back of your car that would have, when you hit the brakes, it would show stop, and she would also have like a turn signal, and her creation is was the beginning of the first turn signal, as well as brake lights. Interesting. So, But it wasn't exactly like a semaphore or something like that pops out, was it? Like a little arm type thing? No, that was later. You saw those laters when the arms popped out. What she did is she had an arm that would come out to give you an idea. It was it was a light, but the, when you hit the brakes, the stop light sign, little word said stop, would come up from behind you. Oh, so she's responsible for that? Yeah, and she was a movie star who just got frustrated with bad drivers. I'll be darned. Kind of neat. Yeah. Okay, and the next lady on your list? Dorothy Levitt. She invented the rear view mirror. So she was a very famous British racing car driver, and she was also a pioneer, obviously. She taught Queen Alexandra how to drive along with the royal princess. So she had she obviously got a lot of credibility off of that. And she also had the first water speed record. So she obviously liked she was uh liked to go out and cause trouble a little bit, but she wrote a book called The Woman and the Car. It was published in 1909. And in that she recommends that women drivers should always have a little mirror inside their car while driving and she stressed that it would take away the the behind you the convenience of sitting turning around be able to look at that little mirror and see what's going on behind you. So she created the first review mirror, which became a regular in cars in 1914. You know, it's amazing. I mean, just a few little issues or the few little uh, um, improvements that you're talking about right there is pretty amazing because this, that the the mirror, the turn signal, the stop sign, uh, the heater, wiper blade, wiper blade. We take all that for granted. Right. I mean, that, that's not on a car. It's not a car. <laughs> wow. Okay. And next on the list? Uh, June McCarroll. She invented the road lane separation. She's got an interesting story. She was a nurse who was involved in a pretty scary car accident in 1917. She was driving her Ford Model T, and a truck was approaching in the wrong side of the road, and it forced her to swerve off the road and avoid a nasty crash, but she was then in a bad accident. So she had an idea which would change roads forever. Now, there's, this is disputed, and we'll talk about that at the end. She personally painted a, a set of white lines across the middle of the roadway, that road that she had the accident on, and the street today is known as Indio Boulevard, I-N-D-I-O. It's in California. It's in Indio, California. Okay. The idea was to separate traffic so that you would be on the wrong side of the road. Because remember, this is pretty early in the car days. So by 1924, her idea was adopted by the California Highway Commission, which then went to paint center lines. It became mandatory on 3,500 roads, uh, and you know, basically all across the, the county, and then eventually it made its way across the country. Now, many believe that in 1906, 
a gentleman named Henry Edward Hines, I'm sorry, Edward Hines of Michigan, claimed to be the inventor. So either way, the roads are safer when there's a center line. That's interesting. Uh, Indio, for uh, our listeners, is down by Palm Springs, so that's two hours basically southeast of uh, L.A., Los Angeles. Now, that's interesting. So what year was this that the lady had this, that she came up with this idea? The accident was in 1917. She went back after she recovered from her incident and painted the lines. But by 1924, the California Highway Commission made it mandatory to put center lines in roads. Wow. That's like, India was like out in a desert. <laughs> well, back then, I mean, geez. She didn't hear what happened in Michigan, because it's not like today where you get on the Internet, you hear everything that's going on in the world. Oh, yeah, that's but, true. That's true. Okay, and who's next? Claims to have their lines earlier. Um, Catherine Blodgett. She was an engineer and a scientist, and she invented the non-reflective glass and anti-glare windshield. Really? So in 1926, yeah, at the age of 21... Blodgett was the first woman to receive a Ph.D. in physics from Cambridge University. Smart girl. Um, in 1938, she developed a liquid soap that when 44 layers, 44, it's a lot of layers of soap, because remember, soap was different then. It's not like today in a bar. But uh, it was, she put 44 layers of soap across the glass, and it would allow 99% of the light to pass through it. And her development paved the way for future engineers to create a more durable coating that wouldn't wipe off. That's interesting. I mean, you know, you, you got to kind of think about this for a second. Okay, it's it's 1920-something. I'm a 21-year-old girl. I'm playing with soap on a windshield or on a windscreen. The fact that or she came up with the idea, or a piece of glass, the fact that she came up with that in the first place. She must know. have had glare in her eyes at some point, because imagine how clear that glass would have been on a windscreen. That would be blinding. Yeah, um, but it's interesting because when I'm driving down the road today, or you or anybody else, you know, we're heading into the sunlight in the morning or in the evening, you know, depending whether sunrise or sunset, and there's a tremendous amount of glare. And, of course, we flipped down our sun visors, which that brings up this question. Who invented the sun visor? Was was that a lady as well, or was that uh, um, Not that I'm aware of. I could look that up. Oh, yeah. Okay, but anyway, all right, so who's next on your list, then? See, now you're making me look it up, because I want to know. <laughs> it's all your fault. Okay, it's all uh, my fault. All right, so the sun visor, uh, let's see, does, doesn't say who invented that. Doesn't say who invented it. It started in 1924, and the Model T was the first sun visor, probably a Ford development. Okay. Um, yeah, a fellow named Hathaway is all it says. That's it? Okay. Well, the guy, his fellow, so... Back in the day, we called people different names. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but as far as the next one, we have Hedy Lamar. Now, if you're into, again, old movies, Hedy Lamar was a gorgeous woman who had done a ton of big screen, you know, that was big screen stuff. Um, very famous actress. But interestingly, she, and this is, I had to go do some additional research because I was interested in the story myself. Because you look at someone, okay, you're a movie star and you created the Bluetooth. I'm like, in 1940, I'm like, all right, I, I got to know more about it. So she invented a device that blocked, and she must have been a part of the war is what I'm thinking, because a lot of people helped out in the war. Mm-hmm. So she developed a device that blocked enemy ships from interpreting torpedo guidance signals. So the device would take the torpedo signal that's going out and make it jump from frequency to frequency, making it nearly impossible for the enemy to locate the message. Isn't that neat? That's just... uh, Frequency jumping is what Bluetooth is. Yeah. So what did she have for an educational background to be able to figure that out? I have not looked that deep yet. I just thought it was interesting. You know, sometimes it's an idea. People have ideas, and they bring it to other people, or they're part of a team. Mm-hmm. But it looks like that's what she, I don't know, maybe she went from there into the movies, but or the movies into that. But it was kind of an interesting thing. She's obviously interested in science rather than wasting her time on other things. Interesting. Okay. So that's about six people, six or seven we've got to do that. Nine. We're at, we're at nine. We're at nine already? Oh, my. Yeah, Gladys May West. She invented the GPS. So there's nothing to do with cars, because she, what she did is she was a mathematician who worked for the United States Naval Weapons Laboratory. So very smart woman. She's a doctor. Um, 
Gladys May West was a project manager on what was called CSAT, which is the first Earth-orbiting satellite measuring ocean depth. So obviously it, had a different, it was in the 70s, so it was a different type of technology. That oh. work on the, in 1978 project helped her and her team build something called GeoSat, which is a satellite creating computer simulations of the Earth's surface. And her calculations and the work on both the CSAT and the GeoSat project helped her create GPS for cars. Interesting. We'd be lost without her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no pun intended. Okay. So tell us about your uh, your little inventions. Well, I have two more quickies. Okay. Fun people, real quick. In 1898, Geneva Delphine Mudge of New York became the earliest known woman to get a driver's license. She was also the first female driver to be in an automobile accident. Her first car was a Waverly Electric, and she drove it around the streets of New York City. But horses and cars at the same time could be an accident. And, and the next interesting one is um, a female first name is Duchess Hughes of France. Um, I'm not really a champagne fan, but there's a Vouve, I think is the name, that all the kids like to drink. She's from that family, so she had a ton of money. But in 1898, she was the first woman to receive a speeding ticket for going nine miles an hour in a seven-mile-an-hour zone. Oh, my gosh. Blinding fast. I know. I know. Well, it's like horse and buggy. (laughs) It's cool. There's a lot of neat women. There's a lot of other women, too. So don't get me wrong. There's tons of women in racing, women that are part of advertising, That women that that turn things around in the auto industry. There's a lot of it, and I could go on and on, but... I just picked 10 that I thought everyone could relate to. Okay. So now tell us about yours. All right. In 1982, I was in high school, and my father owned a brake remanufacturing company. So what we did is we made uh, brakes that we sleeved in stainless steel. And my father only did them for Corvettes, and I said, hey, we should do them for Mustangs. He said, find somebody. So I went to a cruise night, asked somebody, and they said, yeah, you could do mine during the winter. Well, we did a different process on it, so I went to places like Carlisle and the Shelby Convention, I stood there with a table, and I tried to help promote the sales. Remember, this is well, well before the Internet and all that. And um, people would come to me and say, that's a great idea, but I don't have disc brakes in my car. Of course, I didn't know any better, and I said, why not? They said, because I have a Mustang, and a lot of them came with four-wheel drums. So I said, well, why not put disc brakes on? They go, we don't know how to do that. So in 1982, I went back to the drawing board. My father never stopped me. He said, do whatever you want. And I did. I got all the components, found out what needed to be changed, and created the first 1965 to 1967 front disc brake conversion kit. And today it's a mainstay in the industry. And then we went on to do rear disc brake kits and everything else for early cars and later cars. And it became a whole industry. I no longer own the company. I have anything to do with the company. It was, I sold out in 96. So. Was that the, is that now stainless steel brakes? They're out of business. Um, the company was picked up by a couple of other different different pieces of it. Uh, I currently, we currently own Classic Tube. We make pre-bent brake fuel transmission lines for automotive and industrial applications. Okay. Now, when you when did I this, went to go do when, yeah. When you did this for the uh, Mustang back then, because the '65, '6, and '7s had dual piston or dual caliper, yeah, dual piston caliper. Um, only on only on GTs and Shelbys. There are four piston disc brakes. There were Kelsey Hayes caliper, right? The fixed caliper that went on a bracket. That was, but that was the GT setup for all the GT cars. But that was only five, six, and seven. So actually, Thunderbird used those. Lincoln's used those or similar ones to those. They're so they're, they're the mommy. They're the mommy to the baby. Yeah. Okay. So so they're they're a lot bigger. And those what you see on vintage race cars. Everyone says, "Oh, my car had Thunderbird brakes." No, it's if those cars raced in 65 to 67, they had the smaller brakes. The bigger brakes is somebody's getting away with something, you know? Okay, so even back then, they did they, they, they used, and back in the day, so the Shelbys would have used all those as well. Nobody went to the Thunderbird one? You know, it's funny because, wait a minute, if I remember correctly, the 6970 Trans Am Boss Rail 2 conversion, you know, they had Phase 1, Phase 2 phase, the, in the catalog. Right, it, that's a whole it, different animal, though, yeah. It recommended using Lincoln uh, and Thunderbird front, front, brakes. front brakes, the rotors, and the spindles because there were drop spindles on the Thunderbirds that were one inch lower. Right. That that was different because you got to remember they needed more stopping power for a bigger car because in 1968 they went to a floating single piston caliper. Right. So it was a whole different design. Uh, but if you're going to race a car, you want a fixed caliper. 
Okay. All right. So why don't you give us the latest? What's going on in Detroit now? I know you're a big fan of Tesla. <laughs> and uh, and the first lady got a ticket. Oh, she yeah, she got a speeding ticket. Was that an electric car you said? It was an electric car. Uh, actually, it was not that one. It was, well, in 1898, it probably was. This is in uh, 1898 New York City. It was a Waverly Electric. Remember, there was a whole mix of things. There was Stanley Seamers. There was... Um, electric like baker and waverly and there was also gasoline so there's a lot of interest also there was an ethanol powered car i believe that henry ford was testing at the time so interesting interesting different uh, propulsions and we're back to that kind of thing now well now here now this is a topic that you and we'll bro- both brush up on this because i'm i was doing an appraisal on a 1905 a replica of a 1905 Thomas Flyer. And in the process, and I've mentioned this a few times on my show, I was dis- I was reading up, and it talks exactly about that. We had steam, we had hydrogen, we had gas, we had electric, we had diesel, we had you know ethanol, all kinds of stuff. Everybody was playing around with it. Nobody forced anybody on anything. They just said, here, the market, whatever the market, uh, the market sales will dictate what we build and, and, and market trends. Not government telling us, you know, you got to have cease building internal combustion engines and we're going to all go electric and then one day that's not going to work well either because there's more issues you know because of the gap because of the batteries and the processing and, and, and the disposal and all this other stuff but so what what's that's going on electric all electric cars have a lot of issues i was just talking about it today on fox business the things that people don't think of because think about this we used to be beholden to the middle east and we all remember the 70s and 80s when they they came down enough and jacked the price of oil and everybody was standing in line because of the oil crunch, right? Mm-hmm. So now, as previous to this administration, we were oil independent. We didn't need, we were actually selling natural gas and oil to other countries. Well, if we go all electric, you will no longer be beholden to the Middle East. You're going to be beholden to China because all the rare earth minerals in these batteries are mines, and they're all mined by and owned by China. Wow. And the reason we don't mine them here is because it destroys the environment. So you're looking at cobalt, cadmium, mercury, neodymium, nickel. All these things are really dangerous to the environment. Wow. Okay, on that note, we're up against the clock. Lauren, I want to thank you very much. As an international woman, part of the history, International History Month, Women's History Month, I want to thank you for coming on the show this evening. We will definitely get you back on the show. Let's let's go into that a little bit one time, and uh, we'll do that a couple months down the road. What do you say? know where to find me. I know where to find you. Thank you very much. I want to thank my special guest, the car coach, Lauren Fix. Check her out on YouTube and uh, watch her on CNBC and MSNBC and all the other news channels. Lauren, take care. Say hi to everybody up there in in, uh, New York and Michigan for me. Oh, yes, absolutely. Check me out on Car Coach Reports on YouTube. You got it. Thank you. Hey, in the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgia Get Cars. Don't forget, every Tuesday night here on the Tantalk Radio Network between 7 and 8 p.m., Rooster's Hot Rod Show this weekend, Sunday. All right. In the meantime, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.